Hey friends, I'm Jody Kiracosta, author, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International and host of this podcast. Thanks for joining me. My guest today has a gripping story that just might change your perspective about things. We pray it will build your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. But before I introduce her, I'm going to give you a quick update about our Widows and Orphan Fund. Because of the generosity of women like you, we are able to help two brothers stay together in their family home. The father of Jalen and his younger brother passed away several years ago, and it was difficult, but the family moved forward without the support of their loving dad. Then their home was damaged in a rare winter storm in Texas as water pipes burst everywhere. Volunteers rallied to help fix the house, but it was a really long process. And in the middle of it, their mother died unexpectedly. Jalen, who had just started college, had to quit to become the guardian and caretaker of his 11-year-old brother, but their home was still not livable. Funds to repair the home had run out. They were getting ready to return, but they couldn't. They needed an electric range. And that's where we stepped in as a company of women. We were able to purchase the appliance they needed so they could move back in and get back some semblance of normalcy. There are so many other opportunities to help widows and orphans, and together we can do so much more. So I invite you to join us. You can make a donation on HerGodStory.org by clicking on the Widows and Orphan tab. And thank you from Jalen and so many others like him. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, There is a special time for everything. There's a time for everything that happens under heaven. And then it goes on and lists a few things like there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pick what's planted, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time for sorrow, and a time to dance. There's a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. My guest, Katie Stevens, has experienced the truth in these words in very personal and intimate ways. A music teacher, worship, and youth leader, amazing vocalist, co-founder of Somebody Cares Baltimore, wife, and mother of four sons, Katie shares the love of God in creative, fun, and personal ways that nurture relationships for life. I know you will be moved by her God story. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Jody. It's a privilege to be here, enjoying uh, getting to chit-chat with you and getting a chance to say hey to everybody who's listening. A little fun fact, Katie and my husband have a hobby in common, collecting <laughs> Starbucks mugs. Yes. But your collection <laughs> far surpasses his, I think. So how did you get into that and how many do you actually have? So it started, I, I always say this is kind of the accidental collection that found me. I never decided one day like, hey, I'm going to collect Starbucks mugs. Um, a friend of mine, uh, I had watched her kids for her as a favor. This was about about 10 years ago, had gotten me an Alaska mug as a gift because she was originally from Alaska. And then later that year, my husband and I were happened to be in the Bahamas. And I, I said, oh, there's a Bahamas mug like the Alaska one. And then I lovingly say, and then I blacked out and five years later, I woke up and had 126 mugs on my wall. <laughs> but that's not quite how it <laughs> happened. So yeah, I have the entire US You Are Here collection and very high number of international mugs as well. And I also have a representation of the global icon. But yeah, I think actually I just added a mug recently. I think my number is 127. And I've got very, um, very thoughtful and generous students and old high school classmates and friends. And I get messages from people when they travel. Do I, Matter of fact, one of my former students just texted me, do you have this Oxford England mug? And I'm like, no, she's like, I'm bringing it home for you. Oh, <laughs> so I, I look well. <laughs> I don't even see them in Starbucks anymore, you know? So no, it's amazing. The, the you are here mugs 
or discontinued. They're hard to find in the U.S. It's a nice conversation starter. They're in my studio where I teach. So when new students come in, it gives us, you know, kind of something to talk about. But they're really beautiful. And my my son, Josh, kind of spearheaded a project that we all did together of a pallet wall. So I have them all hanging on the wall, displayed as they should be. It looks like I'm very well-traveled, but I'm not. <laughs> and people say, do you drink out of them? And I say, well, not now that they're hanging on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so, that would be awkward. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's it's really, it's a fun conversation piece. And I'm, you know, again, it wasn't the collection I set out to have, but I'm a big coffee drinker. So I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. You will never run out of something to drink from. Never run out. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have one from your hometown? I do. I have, well, I grew up in Ohio, so I have both the Global Icon and the You Are Here mugs from Ohio. I actually, truth be told, I have two because someone sent me a duplicate. And the You Are Here mugs are funny because they don't have one for every single state or town, but some have like, Texas has like five, like California has like five. So they're they're a little bit indeterminate, but I to my knowledge, I have all of the existing U.S. ones. So that's kind of fun. fun. So you grew up in Ohio. Tell us about your childhood. What was it like? And how did Jesus become real to you? So I grew up in the church. My family was, uh, we held our membership in a Baptist church, which was interesting because my dad worked at the Lutheran church down the alley from the Baptist church. He um, just retired from being an organist for 64 years. So I grew up in, um, you know, kind of more traditional faiths. But what what I really love about that is I have a deep love for hymns, just, you know, the good. I always say the Baptist church is a great church to get saved in because you really know, you're really taught right from the beginning, you know, of making a decision to follow Jesus and get baptized. I had a very really laughter-filled, musical-filled childhood. I, I have one older sister to whom I'm very close. Made the decision to go forward, as we said, at the service when I was about seven years old and got baptized. I grew up with a fantastic youth group, grew up in great like church choirs, and, and just surrounded by a lot of people who um, who love Jesus. And it, it just was really a, really a privilege to be able to grow up that way. So it was real to you, even at a young age. It was. And I I really was very blessed, too, to have grandparents that were all saved. And so I had some just really good role models. My paternal grandmother would read the Bible through just over and over again. And I remember she had the dates at the back of each time she would start and each time she would finish. And it was multiple times. And she played the piano for Sunday school. All of my you know, family was part of the church and, and it was really a blessing to grow up that way. Well, you know, a lot of people who accept the Lord as, as children, myself included, had an epiphany experience about their faith, you know, sometime during their young adult years. Was that true of you? And if so, kind of how did that happen? I had some experiences when I went off to college, just where some things became a little more real to me. And I think I began not just to own it as a faith that I grew up with, but own it with, own it as something I chose to do. Was fortunate, and I know we'll talk about my husband in a little bit. I actually met him right away when I went to college. And part of what we were doing was a leading Bible study. So my sister and her boyfriend and a group of us would just, that's what we wanted to do. We were all just hungry to grow more. So actually started a Bible study and just hung, hung out with a crowd of, of like-minded people. So yeah, it really became real to me. Did you go to college or did you? No, I went to a big, I went to the University of Akron in Akron, Ohio. So just a big 
big state school. I was a music major there, but just really found a great cell of people. And and not just that, but they were just a lot of fun, just a lot of fun, like-minded people. So it was really, you know, not the typical college experience necessarily. Our parties looked a little different. Yeah, <laughs> we were, they're better. You know. <laughs> you actually remember your parties. <laughs> exactly. Our parties were like, have Bible study, then go eat at the, you know, go eat at the restaurant. And <laughs> like, that was about it. <laughs> But we had fun. So, yeah. So you were there and you were studying vocal performance. Is yes, that right? Yes, I was a vocal I mean, performance major. Correct. This is way before American Idol or The Voice. Yes. So, you know, so what was your big dream? <laughs> I would have loved, I always secretly when I was in high school, there was Star Search. So I'm really dating myself by saying that. <laughs> So I, I think it, it secretly I wanted to be on Star Search, but by the time yeah, by the time American Idol came along, I was too old for it. Um, and and it's funny, a lot of people ask me, well, do you watch? You know, you're a voice teacher. Do you watch the Voice and and American Idol? I'm like, no, because I feel like I'm still working. It's like all day I analyze voices, and I'm like <laughs> kind of tired of it by the end. But yeah, I, honestly, truth be told, I would have been very happy becoming a famous singer or, you know, becoming a Broadway performer or something like that. But that just wasn't, I I just wasn't in the right place with the right kind of resources, I suppose. So around that time when you were in college, you Mm -hmm. met your husband? Yes. How did that happen? He was in a band, wasn't he? He was in a band. He had a mullet. (laughs) It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. When I met my husband, I was 18. He was 21. We were babies. And uh, he was a part of uh, DOC, Disciples of Christ, a Christian rap R&B group. Um, He did have a mullet. I'm not kidding about that. I'm very serious. Um, They had just been signed to a record label. So they were uh, really breaking ground for the Christian rap industry in the early 90s. All of this is very fresh because they've actually recently gotten back together, which has been really, really cool. But yeah, he was a friend of a friend. He was, uh, you know, this, my sister had an established group of friends and I just kind of uh, filtered right into that. And I met him and, and we just, uh, really, you know, from, from the beginning, I just felt like he really got me and, and we had a strong friendship that evolved into obviously more than that. So, yeah. So right out of college, you, I mean, did you have a similar vision for youth ministry or was that something you kind of, I did, I had a, I had a passion for youth ministry because I had such a fantastic youth ministry experience when I was in high school. I was very close to my youth pastors. We used to, you know, practically live at their house, you know, just a real, very relational, very real people. And I would, I would always say, well, I'm never going to be able to convince someone that I, you know, that I want to marry to be a youth pastor, but Matt was already doing youth ministry when I met him. And I'm like, well, that's convenient. (laughs) So... (laughs) Seems like that might have been So that worked out well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A God pairing. That's right. (laughs) What did you learn? I mean, youth ministry is, I mean, it's it's a unique ministry. Youth are, you know, in a time of life when they are just searching for who they are, trying to figure out their identity. You know, what what did you learn through all of that? Absolutely. Well, I think a a lot of it is, is really building their relationships. You know, uh, life happens at the speed of relationships. I think that's actually something that Doug maybe says, <laughs> maybe just giving him credit. I don't know. But uh, but definitely building relationships. It's like each time we had a youth ministry stint somewhere, I have a group of kids and usually high school girls is where I would find the most connection, but a group of kids that we you know, speak about fondly and connected with. And honestly, many of those are still 
uh, friends with us. One of one of my best friends, she's 10 years younger than I am, but I met her when she was 16 because she was in our youth group. So um, just the, the relationships, I think, are key in that and, and listening and being there. And um, well, you know, the most influence, yeah, the most influence we have is to people who trust us and are friends with us. So I, I know when I was growing up, you know, some of the adult friends of our family are still lifelong friends today. And I look back on the formative years of my life and it was those people that spoke into our family and into my life that have had the most impact of anybody. I, I don't remember the sermons that I heard back when I was young for the most part, but I you do remember, remember the relationships, the relationships and what they, what they said and what they modeled in their faith. And so I could, I knew it was real. I knew it worked. Oh, absolutely. I know my sister and I, one, one I remember in particular was um, our senior pastor of the church we grew up in. One of his daughters uh, just would go out of the way, like would take us and get ice cream and hang out. Like those things really made a difference and just made you feel seen and heard. And I think that's one of the most important human needs that we have is to be seen, heard and understood. So, yeah. So through all of this, you're in youth ministry and you and Matt start a family and pretty soon you have four sons. Boy, were yes. you outnumbered. <laughs> Amazing how that happened. <laughs> you were really outnumbered. Your household must have Very been quickly. wild. <laughs> Yes, boys are, are loud and rowdy. And I didn't know, you know, I, I was like, what is happening here? I grew up with one sister. We grew up, I grew up in a female dominated household. I'm, a, you know, I've always been a girly girl. I'm like, what am I doing? All of a sudden, my life is filled with dinosaurs and climbing trees and rocks and, and <laughs> boy <stinky> shoes. <laughs> But you know what it is? I, I adore my boys. They're, they're just wonderful. They're fun. Um, we have a real, I have a kind of a different relationship with each one of them, but there's just such a tenderness and a connection that's, that's uh, individual with each of them. And I'm really, really good now that they're, now that they're all men. Um, I feel like the safest person in the world. My shortest son is six, two, and my tallest son is six, six. So like nobody's messing with me. No, <laughs> you are surrounded. Yes. <laughs> so eventually you left Ohio, you mm -hmm. went to Baltimore to join the staff of a church in Baltimore, or Matt yes. did, and then you mm -hmm. kind of joined the ministry there as well. And God had you put down roots in Baltimore. I mean, was that something yes. you were excited about? Did you expect to like Baltimore or stay there or? You know, it's funny, Jody. when I think about growing up, like I, I you know, I, I grew up in the middle of flat Ohio. I mean, I just didn't know anything but Ohio. And I don't remember having any kind of impression of the East Coast or Baltimore or any of, I mean, you think New York City and Washington, D.C., that's like all you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we definitely felt a strong pull bringing us here. We moved here in November of 1999. So we've been here for almost 23 years which is crazy. Yeah. And honestly, weren't sure if we were going to stay. Uh, there were a few times that we tried to pursue some opportunities and it seemed like the doors always closed. And so we've, like I said, we've been here now for, you know, a couple of decades. I can't imagine being anywhere else because this is home to us. And we really have a heart for this city. My husband especially is really involved in things going on in the city, but um, just have some really strong roots and people in our lives out here too, that mean a lot to us. Well, your family, I mean, you were immersed in ministry. I mean, mm -hmm. all your sons got involved in, I mean, you yep. kind of just brought them along as you had been when you were growing yes. up, which is a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. And life was going on. You were probably seeing God work in the lives of 
a whole nother generation of young people, but mm -hmm. all of a sudden you experienced every parent's worst nightmare. Yes. When you lost one of your sons in a tragic car accident. Yes. Uh, tell us about that. How did you even cope with that? Here you are in ministry mm -hmm. and, and then your son is taken, I mean, in youth yeah. ministry and your son is taken from you. So it actually happened in August of 2005. We actually were traveling with a group of, of interns that were all high school, young college aged, and we had about six interns with us. And we were doing some kind of a, we had been in, we had been up in Massachusetts. We had been in York, Pennsylvania. We were getting ready to go to New York City. So this was a week where our team was just kind of recuperating and reconnecting in Western Maryland. So Maryland has this panhandle, so way out in Western Maryland. And I had actually come back to Baltimore because I had a couple of obligations with a worship team I was leading at the time. And I brought our two youngest sons with me. They were four and six at the time. And my husband stayed out there with our oldest two boys who were 10 and 11. And um, sadly, one of those mornings, a vehicle being driven by someone else on our team had um, lost control and flipped over. And both of my older sons were in the vehicle. And just through a series of circumstances, we did lose our 10-year-old son, Caleb, quite suddenly that day. And you know, as you can imagine, you feel all the things, you feel shock, you feel denial, you feel just, it, it, it just came out of, it came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden he's just gone. Yeah. Just, just devastating. Um, my, my husband had called into town and had our friends and pastors at the time, Kevin and Becky Harrison come to the house. So they would be at the house when he called me. Mm. Wow. to tell me the news. And they were there shortly after he, he reached me. So, and then, you know, it's just a blur. People came from our family and friends came from multiple states. I don't even remember. And, you know, you do all the things that you have to do when you lose someone. And then you start to find your new normal and figure out how you're going to go on. So, yeah, I mean, it's not something you can ever really make sense of. No. But no. how do you... I mean, what, what did you, I mean, your, your two, your three sons were there mm -hmm. still and they had lost a brother and yes. you're dealing with your own grief and trying to yes. help them through that. I mean, what, mm -hmm. did, how did you do that as a mom? It's almost seems like an impossible task. Yeah. And, and I think in some ways there's a blessing to having the other three boys and having to be there for them because that forces you to go on. And, you know, you hear of people who lose a child who like literally just curl up in bed and they're just done. And I get that. I, I definitely can understand wanting to do that. And, you know, for me, I'm maybe obviously an extrovert. People are very important to me. And for me being surrounded by good friends, family, people, letting me verbally process how I was feeling, letting me talk through things, um, having having friends in my life that would cry with me when I would cry and laugh with me when I would laugh and not make me feel weird for how I was feeling that particular day. Like they would just say, I'm here for you. I'm showing up and I'm going to be whatever you need me to be. That was a saving grace for me, for sure. But then creating the new normal, cre um, you know, I, I, th I think I mentioned to you staying busy was a blessing during that time. Like, staying busy. Fortunately, I was, I was in the, a, a job transition and I was, I actually taught school that year and my oldest son, Josh was in my class. That was a blessing because we needed each other. So we, we leaned very hard on each other that year. He was in sixth grade and I was his teacher. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we did. And we created this new normal 
we moved into a different house about a year later and found some peace in this new house and it's still where we are now. So yeah, and it was interesting because um, God had shown me actually something during that time. I felt like God almost gave me permission to be selfish for a while and just take care of myself, meaning myself and my family. When you live a life where you're generally focused on others and you you are used to being that way, it feels self-serving to turn your attention inward. And I really felt God showing me like, it's okay for you to do that. And I was like, okay, I'll do that for a while. And it's funny, Jody, because there was a moment that I felt when that lifted. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what it was. It was, I got a Christmas card from a high school friend. From the way she signed the Christmas card, I could tell that she and her husband had recently split up. Okay. And I thought, that's interesting because I've, I've been so in my own zone that I didn't know that was going on with her. And that was kind of my wake up call to say, okay, you've had your season and now it's time for you to start turning your attention to helping others again. Because me losing my child was a big thing, but her marriage coming to an end was a big thing for her, probably as big to her as that was to me. Like I said, you know, we've all got something that blocks our sunshine and for some, for for every, there's, you know, there's no scale of who wins at tragedy. <laughs> so yeah. we all have tragic things we go through and we just have to pay attention to when it's time to take care of ourselves. And then when it's time to take care of ourselves by helping to take care of other people as well. I think of uh, Abraham, you know, he is the patriarch in the Bible and he was called a friend of God. And if you look at Abraham's life and it even says this somewhere in the new Testament, but he was a family man. I mean, God said, I am building a family through you. And that was his main purpose in life. If you look at all of his story, yes, it was following God, but it was all related to family. I mean, he went to war for his family. He did all sorts of stuff for his family. And that was a very legitimate and important assignment of God. So yeah, I mean, we cannot leave our families behind. And when there are times that you know, yes, we, we help others, but family, that's our first ministry priority. And it's interesting too, because, you know, we're, we're five people with five different personalities who all process grief differently. Mm. And so allowing each other, you know, knowing that how I process is not going to be the same way that Josh processes, is not going to be the same that my husband processes or, or the younger two boys. So, you know, if, if there's a day that we're, you know, having a rough day, we need to allow that person to have a rough day and try to be strong for them. And, you know, again, I, I like to talk things through other people in my family process very quietly. So giving each other permission to, to just be who we are and, and being willing to hold their hand while they walk through that. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. So wise. I think a lot of people who are in grief expect Mm -hmm. everyone around them to participate in their method of grief. Absolutely. And there's no manual to that. I've said that up. I've said that a hundred times. There is no manual to how to lose a child. If there's just, there's no way you're going to, you know, you have to walk through it the way you walk through it. I've had some people say some very helpful, uplifting things to me. And I've had some people say some very stupid things to me, (laughs) to be honest, in, you know, under, under the, the umbrella of trying to be helpful. And just think it's important that we pay attention and love people well and let people process the way they process answered this a little bit, but I'm just going to throw it out there in case there's anything else you want to say about it. But, you know, a lot of people, when tragedy strikes, they start asking the question, where are you, God? Where were you? Where was he? Where did you see him in the midst of all of this going on? And how did he reveal himself to you? I had to 
revert a lot to understanding that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And some days that's all I had to cling on to. And just understanding that I don't understand. Some days that was the best I had. And some days it was like, okay, cool. I got out of bed. I breathed today. I put one foot in front of the other. And just, I think that's it, is understanding that there are just things that are going to happen on this side of eternity that we don't understand. And we want to know things. We want to figure things out. We want reasons. We want answers. And sometimes that's just, it's not owed to us. And it's, and it's not going to happen. The Bible actually doesn't, you know, doesn't promise us ease of life and, you know, sunny days and butterflies and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> the Bible actually guarantees us that we're going to have trials. So it's like each day is a gift. And if we start looking those ordi- looking at those ordinary days like they're gifts and, you know, just enjoy God's grace in the midst of that, I think sometimes that's that's just what we need to do. Talking to you, it's very clear to me that you have a great confidence in the goodness of God because you could walk through those times of pain and uncertainty and you can allow those questions to go unanswered because you know that God is good and he's for you. There is a song that I would sing sometimes right around the time that this happened, and it's um, it's called Trust His Heart. And it's like sometimes, um, or God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. And that was the, it's like, well, I don't understand the whys. I, you know, I have some questions, but really what other choice do we have than to just trust his heart for us and trust that the big picture is in his control? Yeah, and it's not easy. Who else can we turn to? Who else can <laughs> yeah, we turn to? Exactly. You're a very joyful person. When did that joy start coming back? I, I know right after the loss of your son, there was probably a loss of joy. Yes, uh, absolutely. So when, did you, when did you notice that coming back? I, I mean, it definitely took some time. Like I mentioned, we, we, we lost him in August and we, we relocated to a new home in June of the following year. Our newer home literally has more yard and space. And that was that was kind of healing for me just to have some almost tangible peace <laughs> around. Mm. And it just, as the days go on, you know, I would find like, oh, okay, I laughed today. I haven't laughed in a while. Or I, I sing, I sing all the time, my poor family and dogs. But I say, you know, Matt would start to notice I was, you know, I would be singing around the house again. So, you know, definitely took some time as we forged the new normal, but we, we gave ourselves, you know, as much time as we needed to. I think that's, that's, and, and, and that's not going to be the same for everybody either. You were still in ministry. Mm-hmm. You were still doing youth ministry, even at this time and teaching at a school. Did this mm-hmm. whole experience change your perspective or approach to ministry? I was in a very transitional, um, employment wise, a little bit of a transitional time because I taught school, but I only did that for one year. Uh, I was doing a worship leading job. We did not, at the time we were doing kind of outreach, our, our nonprofit outreach ministry, we were traveling a lot in the summer, but we took on another formal church youth pastor position in 2008. That was just, it it was a particularly great group of kids. Um, Again, I'm still friends with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You know, just just continuing to do the things that we had done, be relational. And I just think when you're functioning in what you're made to do, it helps pull you through the hills and valleys. (laughs) It really helps you 
continue to go on because you're you're moving in what your purpose is. You know, the best that you can step back when you need to step back. But I think going on and, and moving forward is is often the best thing that you could do. Yeah, I love your family motto love God, love people. And you really do do that in so many ways. I mean, you and Matt even co-founded Somebody Cares Baltimore, which is a ministry that unifies churches in Baltimore to see the city transformed, really being a tangible expression of God's love to the city. How did that come about? What's your role in that? What do you, What have you seen God doing through that? It's looked like a lot of different things over the years, Jody. And of course, um, you know, in, in the last couple of years, you know, obviously we know with the pandemic, things have changed, but it kind of is hand in hand with uh, my husband's job. He actually does work for the Baltimore City Police Department and he runs the chaplaincy, but he's been active in the city a lot longer than that. And we will do these events called Day Day of Hope, where we basically have a block party. We do a lot of homeless outreach. We make bags of hope full of essentials that people who live on the street might need and whatever other opportunities present themselves. So just really paying attention. You know, we're definitely all for foreign missions and what's going on in other countries, but we also firmly believe that there's a lot of need right here in our own backyards. So, you know, teaching people that you can drive for, you know, you can drive for 20 minutes and be in a completely different environment where people have a fraction of what you have. So a lot of that's just been opening the eyes of those around us to what the need is and that it doesn't often take too much to to meet that need. You just have to be you just have to be ready and willing to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I've also found that a lot of people have um, a fear of that first step, but once they take that first step, God comes in and gives them confidence and boldness and changes their life, really. I mean, just just takes one step to change your life if it's an obedience to God. Baltimore also, unfortunately, has suffered a very high crime rate and yes. a lot of upheaval and turmoil mm-hmm. that's resulted in the deaths of a lot of, lot of young people. And mm-hmm. I'm sure the loss of Caleb mm-hmm. has given you and Matt an empathy for ministering in, in those communities that uh, a lot of a lot of people probably don't have just because mm-hmm. you understand the loss. Yes, and without Christ, the hopelessness that would be there. Yes, there are even some organizations in the city of specifically like mothers who've lost their sons, their children to gun violence. I mean, that's just the reality of where we live. And this is a tough city. This is a tough place to live. There are also a lot of people with a lot of compassion that want to see things change. So being able to, you know, look in the eyes of those people who have suffered a similar loss and be able to, you know, take their hand and give them a hug, all of that makes a difference. Just that Again, being seen, heard, and understood, I think, is is huge. So we've we've had some opportunities to step into that because of the involvement that we've had, and to just to see, just believing for things to make a change. There are little changes brewing all around, so it's hard for that positive because it gets drowned out in the negative quite a bit. But there are things um, happening and shifting and changing, so we're yeah. we're excited to see what continues to happen. Well, the news always tries to sensationalize the bad. Sure. But being there, it's nice to know that there's, you're seeing seeds of hope. We love it here. Honestly, we just, we love it here. We really do. It's been a great place to raise our kids. It's been, yeah, it's been really good. So how do you balance being a mom, working, serving in ministry, leading worship? I mean, you've, Mm -hmm. you've got a lot of balls up in the air. (laughs) 
Yes, a, a lot. And, and things have shifted for me, you know, even especially like in the last five years, because both of our two youngest sons have graduated from high school and I homeschooled both of them through high school. I'm not really quite sure how we, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how we crossed that finish line, but we made it. It wasn't pretty, but we made it. Um, no, it was actually, um, if, if I had to choose it all again, I, I would. It was a great experience for all of us. But so, yeah, so, so not only uh, balancing the roles, but as the roles have changed and I'm looking at this second act in my life now. So I just, I, I just turned 50 about a month ago and um, my role as a mom is still there, but it's much different than it, it used to be. I don't know. I kind of just do the next thing. Um, actually, uh, one thing that I love is I've, my best friend and I have started our own podcast in the last um, two years. And that has been incredibly fun and fulfilling and um, just the chance to bring joy to a lot of people. Um, What's the name of your podcast? It's called The Mo and Katie Show. So Mo with no E and Katie with a Y. And it's um, just promoting gratitude, humor, and positivity. That's what we do. We, we really focus on things that are positive. We like puns. And and kind of stupid humor sometimes, but it tends to work for us. But uh, just if you want to keep things light, and so that has been so much fun. It has been, and and Mo and I have very different backgrounds. She's retired military. I'm a, a mom and musician, but it, we just come together and it works. So that's been fun. So yeah, so balancing the roles and. My, you know, running my studio full time, I really, really enjoy. I'm, I'm definitely not as hands-on with ministry as I used to be, but it's really mm-hmm. good to still have my finger on the pulse of what Somebody Cares Baltimore is doing and to, um, you know, watch and support Matt in how things are moving forward. But yeah, but life as it does has definitely shifted in the last several years. Different seasons. Different Absolutely. Seasons. Yep. Well, because your boys grew up and were involved in ministry pretty much all their lives, they all have a really deep faith that they live out. Mm-hmm. And just as you and Matt were starting to think about what is empty nest life going to be like, yeah. that faith was really tested again. Yes. Share your journey as a mom and, you know, when your son Josh was diagnosed with lymphoma. So that was another, you know, kind of out of nowhere thing. We had started looking at downsizing where we were living and, you know, wanted to live on the water and looking at the boys become more independent. Josh had already moved out. He was 25 at the time. And he, uh, we'd actually just gotten home from a camping trip. It was Labor Day of 2019. And he called and, you know, big, strong 25-year-old Josh was in tears. He said, Mom, I've got this pain in my chest. It won't go away. I don't know what it is. So I said, okay, let's go to the ER. So I took him to the ER. And long story short, by the time we left the ER, we had a diagnosis that it was most likely lymphoma, cancer, that it had spread to several organs in his body. We were devastated, just absolutely devastated. And all of a sudden, overnight, are talking to oncologists, getting him admitted. This tumor was growing rapidly and was endangering his health because it was obviously because it was cancer, but also it was impending his breathing. They weren't able to put a port in right away because of the tumor. It, it was just, we just, uh, just jumped all feet onto this roller coaster of cancer that we had not traveled through. And it was, um, it was definitely difficult. It was difficult. In the early days, his prognosis was not good. It was was not. He had stage four lymphoma. So he had it in four of his organs. Um, But then we had everyone telling us like, what's lymphoma? Lymphoma is fightable. You're going to be okay. And so by Christmas time, we thought we were out, we were, you know, out of the woods, we were good. And then in January, February, 
debilitating headaches and falling over and all sorts of other symptoms showed up. So I took him for an MRI and it turns out that he had three lesions on his brain. The cancer had spread to his brain before the chemo had a chance to wipe it all out. So all of a sudden now it's a different hospital, a better hospital, radiation, uh, stronger chemo, all sorts of things. It was um, just crazy. And I'll tell you, Jody, that was probably the hardest part was like, okay, we're done. We've beat this. And then it was just like the whole thing started over again. And, and it's, it's tough. I mean, that's honestly probably the most frustrated and angriest that I had gotten with God about what we had been dealt was when the cancer spread to his brain. I was like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) You know, you just have those moments where you're like, I honestly, I'm tapping out. I'm done. You have picked the wrong person to go through these trials. I cannot do this anymore. Um, Well, I know that we were praying, people all over the country were praying, and, you know, you hear people who have a lot of support say, I could feel the prayers, I could really feel the prayers. Could you, could you feel the prayers, or did you just, was it just an emotional encouragement that people were praying? Honestly, yeah, I don't know that I'm one of those people that can, like, necessarily quote unquote feel the prayers but I'll I'll tell you I definitely felt the support and the presence of people in our lives that were upholding us and doing very seemingly practical things meant a lot at that time we had a lot of people bringing us you know meals and things like people do when you're going through something and just encouragement and all sorts of things just just really made a big difference. And I I really, you know, I really think God works that way. God works through tangible things and God works through the kindness of people in your life. And just the things that seem practical are often a lot more spiritual than we think they are. That really helped us and held us up. And then of course, you know, we're, we're going through the radiation and an impending transplant in the fall while, and then COVID swings into action in March of 2020. So, so often Josh was in the hospital and we couldn't be there with him. Um, mm. And we all remember what that was like. It was a pretty crazy time. COVID was a pretty crazy time to be walking someone through cancer treatment. I will say that. Yeah. So um, how did God intervene on your behalf? I mean, you were at a point of saying, no, God, no more. Yeah. I'm like, I'm out. Tap, I'm tapping yeah. out. Where um, did that really, come from? What happened? One thing that was really, I, I think, miraculous, number one, again, another thing I really love about living in Baltimore is we have really fantastic health care. Mm-hmm. And we were being seen, Josh was being seen at the University of Maryland Medical Center and the, the liaison who, with whom he was working told us about a pretty brand new transplant uh, procedure that was being done with a high success rate and said, you know, he would be a good candidate for this because of the type of cancer he has. I mean, this thing has only been approved by the FDA for a handful of years. It's not terribly old, but to be in a place to have the right people say, we're going to be able to do this treatment, you know, his insurance is going to cover it, which, you know, that's that's a burden as well. You're wondering how all that's going to happen. He was able to have this CAR T-cell transplant in October of 2020. I won't go into all the details, but I would encourage anyone listening to look it up because it's pretty miraculous what it does. But basically, you put, it puts beacons on your on your T cells and turns your body into its own cancer fighting machine. I mean, it's really pretty pretty incredible. And so to be in the place and time where God had given these doctors wisdom and to be able to take it, you know, to to be able to partake in that sort of groundbreaking medical thing that you know I believe God used that to save Josh's life because he has been in remission since December of. 2020. And we are so grateful because it was, you know, there was some scary, scary moments in there. That's about a year and a half ago. And I mean, I can't, I can't imagine the flood of relief that 
news brought to you, even after good news like that, but it takes a little while for the heart to catch up with the head. Absolutely. (laughs) What was your experience? You know, relief, because that's when he, when he told us the day that we got word that he was in remission, it was in December, and we were very relieved because we knew that that was the first possible time that they could say the word remission, and we were fortunate to be able to receive that news. And then he, you know, still continues to go in for somewhat regular checkups. And there's always this, you know, there's always this fear. There's always this, you know, apprehension. What if it comes back? But we just choose to know that we're never going to know how God works. And we walk it out one day at a time. And we continue to cling to each other and hold each other up and love each other well in all of that. And just trust that whatever God's plan is, he's got a plan and he's God. That's as simple as I can make it some days. (laughs) Well, you mentioned that, you know, some people said some really wonderful things to you. Some people Mm. said some things that weren't so really wonderful to you. (laughs) I'm realizing everybody deals with grief differently, Sure, but you've experienced a couple different kinds of real struggles. What are some of the do's and don'ts for those who have a friend experiencing loss or prolonged health crisis? I mean, what's helpful and what really isn't? Of course, you want to avoid saying the cliche, like telling them everything's going to be okay. It's like, okay, they probably know that, but that's not, you know, it could always be worse. Just avoid any cliches. (laughs) They're cliches for a reason. But I would just say to be there and to do tangible things. You know, look at the real needs and get creative and figure out what can you do to lighten their load that particular day you know, bring them something that's their favorite, come over and plant some flowers in their garden. But I had to just had a lot of people do like a lot of really seemingly simple, practical things for me that meant a whole lot. Just so that I knew people were thinking about me, you know, as far as it goes with Caleb, I really love when someone shares with me a memory of him that they've had that, you know, because he's been gone for so long now. But when someone shares a memory or something I've never heard before about him or, or pictures I've never seen, every once in a while, someone will send me a picture that I've never seen of him before. And like those kind of things are special. So, so you know, go the extra mile and inconvenience yourself enough to think like, what would really make a difference in that person's day? And mm, just try good. to do something. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Oftentimes we want to say the right thing, but there's almost no right thing to say unless yeah. the Holy Spirit is really giving you something timely. But and even doing... saying, I don't know what to say is okay. Even mm-hmm. saying, you know, I, I really don't know what to say, but I just want to, you know, want to sit here with you and hold your hand until, you know, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. So, yeah. Isaiah 58 talks about, you know, for those who give themselves for the hungry, for those who help the needy, their healing will come. <laughs> and I think of that as you were telling me, you're, you know, telling the story about Josh in particular, I was thinking of that Isaiah 58 promise because you and Matt and your whole family have poured out your lives for those who really have great spiritual, but also physical and financial need. And God has seen that and brought that healing to Josh in a, in a remarkable way, as you said, miraculous, it's miraculous what medical science can, you know, medical, medical science, but you know, medical spiritual, spiritually, what got the wisdom God has given the medical community. Um, you, know, you know, too, it's interesting, Jody, and, and I, I just warn you, I probably will get a little choked up when I talk about, I tend to, when I talk about Josh's uh, involvement, you know, as I mentioned, when we lost Caleb, Josh was in the accident as well. He was in the car. 
and he survived and his brother didn't. And that's, you know, especially when you're 11, (laughs) you don't quite understand why that happened. And he came to a point where he told us, even at the age of 11, turning 12 years old, where he said, I'm sad I lost my brother, but I know God, I know God spared me for a reason. And then to watch him, you know, 15 years later, have to literally fight for his own life, because again, he goes back to that truth that God saved him for a reason. And I think somewhere in there, I think that was so ingrained in him at that age, that is probably something that helped his fight in getting through the cancer and and working through his medical stuff too. And, you know, I don't want to tell Josh's story, but, but I, I, I can imagine that that's something that just, it just attached itself so much to his DNA at that time in his life that it was probably part of why he fought as hard as he did. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're his mom, you observed moms know what's going on. I mean, the, you know, the Lord gave you that insight and I'm sure that's true. I mean, God gave him that revelation for this time and other times. <laughs> that re- that revelation isn't just for one time, it's for a lifetime. So what are the foundational principles or truths that God placed in you that helped you through all of these ups and downs? I mean, you've had some wonderful times in your life as well. It hasn't all been struggles. No. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But definitely a fair share of struggles as well. <laughs> We're sharing um, the struggles today to help others, but you've had some great yeah. times too. But what well, are the foundational hear, things? You even hear people say, you know, I, again, Jody, I'm just going to keep going back to, I'm not going to know what I'm not going to know. And, you know, people ask, why do good things ha- Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. And you just continue to walk it out one day at a time. And again, just know that his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And there are just things you're never going to know. And somewhere deep inside that has to be okay. Because if it's not, you're probably going to drive yourself crazy. So it just has to be, it has to be okay. And every morning when the sun comes up and every morning when you open your eyes and your feet hit the floor, it's a good day. It's a, it's a blessing. We get to have another day in, in the adventure that he's written for us. And it's, that's, that's why I want to spend so much of my time, you know, laughing and being positive because there's, there's plenty to gripe about. There's plenty of things that you can just hold up and complain, but it's just so much more fulfilling when we can constantly look for the positive and the lessons and continue to grow from that. Yeah. Gratitude and thankfulness really changes our perspective when we look oh, at everything does. As, as a blessing and are thankful Absolutely. for even the ordinary days, as you said. And there's magic moments in those ordinary days too. There is, there's wonder and there's perfect things that happen if you just pay attention. So as we wrap up this episode, I like to ask, is there a woman in the Bible whose story inspired or encouraged or taught you something during all these years? And uh, how does your story relate to hers? One woman in the Bible that I've always been pretty fascinated with is the woman, the woman with the issue of blood, who was mm. pursuant of Jesus and how she just decided that nothing was going to keep her from the presence of Jesus, which meant touching the hem of his garment. So just getting a little bit of, you know, an inch or two of that fabric (laughs) was what she knew was going to, you know, unleash the blessings that she needed in her life. 
actually, uh, it seems like forever ago in 2006, um, I, I released a, a solo project, a CD, and one of the songs that I wrote on that CD, and I didn't write very many of them, but one of them was, was actually, it contained that story. So it wow. was just to get closer and just to get that touch and just to keep a grip on what you know that God is doing and to be pursuant of that, I think is, is really just says a lot, that tenacity and that willingness not to give up. Katie, your story reminds me of uh, verse 10 in Isaiah 35 as well. And that says in the New Living Test translation, those who've been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. God restored joy to Katie and filled her life with song again after the loss of her son and again through Josh's battle with cancer. Um, Psalm 30 verse 5b says that weeping will last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Through the last few years, as we've mentioned a couple times, so many people, maybe even you, have suffered a loss. And it could be a physical death of a loved one, a loss of a job or a relationship or a dream. It could be a, a long-term struggle. Um, that didn't even end in, in death, but that still can sap your joy. God says there's a time to mourn, but God also wants to bring us back to that place of joy. King David knew about that. And in Psalm 51, he asked the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation. And God can do the same for you. If you've lost it, if you feel like you're missing that joy, God wants to restore that to you. And it may not come overnight. Sometimes it might but he will restore it. Katie, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to your amazing God story, especially those who really need their joy restored? Well, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together today, this moment in time. And I thank you that each person listening, God, that it's not by mistake that you have a purpose. I, I know that you have a purpose and a plan for each person listening. And God, it, 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 the days get long and the days get really difficult sometimes. But God, we know that you have just planted these perfect moments of joy. And if we're just paying attention and if we're choosing to focus on you, God, that you can turn things around for us. And God, I just pray today that whatever happens to be blocking each person's son in their life, God, that you would just let them know that even though it might be dark, that you're holding their hand, God, that you're going to send people to hold their hand. You're going to send tangible reminders of who you are through relationships and through people and through joy and laughter. And I just believe, God, that each one of us can walk into the, just the, the wonder and the, the amazing plans that you have for us if we just continue to keep our eyes on you, God. So I just pray for each person out there, Lord, that they would be able to find that joy. They would be able to be grateful for each day when they open their eyes and put their feet on the floor and, and just continue, Lord, to, to mold their circumstances and to, to just keep your hand on them. And uh, we'll just continue to give you the glory and to thank you for everything that you're doing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to like or subscribe to Her God Story so you don't miss an episode. And check out our website at hergodstory.org. There you can find our show notes with scriptures, a link to Katie's songs, and other information we talked about. You can sign up for periodic emails, get a free download of a devotional book. And I also encourage you to listen to our other ministry podcast, A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, where you can hear teaching that will challenge you as well as interviews with Christian leaders that will inspire you. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing from Psalm 90, verse 14. 
May you be satisfied each morning with God's unfailing love so you may sing for joy and be glad all your days. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.